0: Great to be here with you today. Uh, Let me say that I am deeply touched and honored at all the bow ties that are out there. Um, I said it earlier without a microphone, I'll say it now with a microphone, you guys never looked better, so I appreciate that. I would like to ask you to humor me um, at the end of service when all is said and done. All of you have on bow ties, if you'd come up to the front, I'd love to get a picture of everybody with their bow ties on this morning. So if you do that afterwards, that would be wonderful. A um, couple of things that I need to let you know about. Last week, as most of you know, we had a special contribution for the relief efforts in South Texas, and I want to give you the total that we raised last week, $15,163, and a little bit of change came in last week. Some additional checks have come in since that time. I know some more will come in today. Uh, we're expecting the grand total to be somewhere around seventeen dollars to $18,000 when all is said and done which we will split among the three agencies that we talked about last week. But let me thank you very much for that, for your generosity. And you can trust that with that money and with our prayers and with the people who are on the other end of that money who will be receiving it and who will be working in the name of Jesus, God's name will be glorified in South Texas. People who don't know Jesus Christ will come to know Jesus Christ. People who doubted the fact that God loves them and that God, people loves them will have no doubt that God does love them and that His people love and care about them. So thank you very much for being a part of that. Also, I also want to ask you to continue to pray about the group that is going to go down. Uh, to South Texas sometime in the next few months to help out with relief efforts. And I want to remind you that there is a meeting next week, next Sunday. It was originally scheduled for this Sunday, but it's been rescheduled for next Sunday. If you have any interest at all in being a part of that group, please plan on staying after Bible classes next Sunday so you can find out more about what the plans are and so you can let Craig and others know that you have an interest in being a part of that group. I also want to give you a Project 9K update. Project 9K is our Bible reading challenge here at Netherwood Park Church of Christ. And so far to date, as a congregation, we have collectively read 3,672 books of the Bible. So good job. Continue to read, continue to report, continue to immerse yourself in God's Word. And as I continue to say, the reason why we have this Bible reading challenge is not just because we like to have challenges but because we very strongly believe in the power of God's word. We believe that God's word transforms us. We believe that we can't live the word in the world if we don't know the word. So we are people who believe in the power of God's word. I also want you to know that we are people who very much believe in the power of prayer. We believe prayer is powerful and effective. We're going to talk a lot more about powerful and effective prayer today in the sermon. But right now I just want to let you know that if you have a need in your life or you know of a need in someone that you, that you love, you know of a need that needs to be prayed about, we would love to hear about that so we can honor your prayer request and lift that request up to God. We have some green cards that you'll find in front of you. These are our communication cards If you have a prayer request in your life or the life of someone you love that you would like to bring to the attention of this congregation or just its eldership so that we can lift the prayers up to God, we'd encourage you to let us know about that by filling out this card with your request and then drop that card in one of our collection boxes. You can find two collection boxes at the back of the auditorium. You'll find another one through these double doors. And later on today, I'll take these requests. I'll put them in an email. They'll go out to some 400 email addresses. There are 400 people who are waiting for your prayer request so they can lift your request up to God. So please take advantage of that. Something else I want you to know about the church here at Netherwood Park is we are a baptizing church. We also believe in the power of baptism. We don't believe that baptism is just a ceremony. We believe that God works through baptism. We believe that it's in baptism that we leave the old self behind and we put on the new self. We believe that it's in baptism that we join in the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We believe that it's in baptism that we are clothed with Christ. So I want to say that if you are here and you believe that Jesus is the Christ and you haven't been baptized, we would love to have a conversation with you about that. We'd like to answer any questions that you have. We would like to, to explain to you how we understand baptism and how God works through baptism. And in order to have that conversation, we'd encourage you to turn that green card over on the back where it says next steps. If you just check the box, it says I'd like to talk to an elder or minister about baptism. Fill out your contact information, drop it in one of those same collection boxes, and we'll contact you right away to begin that conversation. And the final thing that I want to let you know about this church is that we believe in the church. We believe that there is power in the local church. We believe that it's important for every Christian to be a part of a local congregation. We are much stronger together than we are apart. God calls us together because there is power in the church. So if you have been attending Netherwood for a while and you haven't yet, let us know that you would like to be a part of this church, a part of this family, would also like to encourage you to use that same green card to let us know that you would like to be a part of Netherwood Park Church of Christ, a part of this family. So if you just check the box that says, I'd like to talk to an elder or minister about being a member of this church, fill out your contact information, drop it in one of those same boxes, we'll contact you right away. We'll have that conversation as well. Well, you're here today on the final day of our five-part sermon series. We've been talking about the fact that God works through us to empower us to run the race that he has set before us. This is the fifth and final sermon in this series that's designed to refocus us on our 2017 theme. And that theme, I hope you know, is living the word in the world. Our theme comes from the book of James, where James admonishes us not to be just hearers of the word, but he tells us to be doers of the word. Not just read the word and hear the word and study the word and know the word, but actually do what it says. Live our God's word in our world. So, over the last five weeks, we've been working out of the book of James. We've been using the words from James and we've been combining those words with one of Paul's favorite analogies. And we've been doing that to illustrate what living the word in the world looks like. We've been using James's words and Paul's analogy between running a track race and being a follower of Jesus Christ. The analogy between running a track race and running the Christian race. So we've been bringing out different images and different stories from the 2017 World Track and Field Championships, which were held just last month in London and where Kathy and I were fortunate enough to be able to be. We used images like this, this image of Usain Bolt at the start of the 100-meter dash. And we said that our Christian race is like this race. As followers of Jesus Christ, we've been called to get out of our blocks and actually run. We're not called to just know how to run. We're not called to just be prepared to run. We're called to actually run, to live the word in the world. And then we also brought out this image. This image is from the 3,000-meter steeplechase. And with that image, we observe that our Christian race is also like this race. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we know that our race, we know that our race is going to have hurdles. It's going to have hazards. It's going to have barriers. And we saw that we don't get to choose our hurdles. No, we have to navigate the hurdles that have been put before us as we run the race. We also use this image. This image is from the 4 by 400 meter relay. We use this image to remind us that sometimes the Christian race calls on us to wait. In fact, sometimes the best response of all is to wait. To wait on God. To wait on each other. But not wait by doing nothing. But wait expectantly and wait actively and wait with purpose. And last week, as we prepared to take our special contribution, we were reminded that others are waiting on God, and others in South Texas are waiting on us. They're waiting on God to work through us. And we also use this image. This image of all the decathlon participants celebrating together. Not celebrating victory, but just celebrating finishing their race. And we use this to remind us that the Christian race isn't a winner-take-all competition. To remind us that we're in this race together. And to remind us that we win this race not by taking control, not by taking the lead but by submitting to God's control, by submitting to His lead. In our race, we run, we hurdle, we wait well, and we submit. We submit to God's control. And that's a really good plan for running the Christian race. That's a really good plan for living the word in the world. But you've probably noticed that something's missing We haven't talked about the most important ingredient for successfully running the Christian race. We haven't talked about prayer, and that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to talk about prayer, but before we talk about prayer, let's actually pray. Let's pray together. Father, it is good to be here this morning. Father, it's good to be in your presence, and Father, it's good to be in the in the presence of your children and father we are people who sincerely deeply want to run the race that you've been you've put before us and father help us to submit to your control father help us to run the race that you have given us and father we pray that you will help us to always do that prayerfully acknowledging father father where our power comes from. Our power comes from you. It's the name of Jesus, who is the Christ, that we pray. Amen. We see another picture on your screen. This picture is of an athlete who's praying after competing in his race. It's after a semifinal race. He's just qualified for the finals, and he's paused on the track to pray. We saw this happen a lot at the championships. Praying before races, praying after races, lots of prayer going on. In fact, as I was reflecting on it, I got to thinking that perhaps the only place that you might see more prayer going on is on a high school campus during finals week. Lots of prayers going on. And I know from experience that it's, it's easy from the outside looking in to assume that most of this kind of prayer is really kind of a misuse of prayer. I mean, we know that the high school student who didn't study shouldn't have any expectation that God is going to miraculously intervene and give them an A on that big test. And we also know that the athlete who didn't train and didn't practice and didn't prepare shouldn't have any expectation at all that God is somehow going to miraculously intervene and reward them with a gold medal in the big race. We know that both the student and the athlete would have been much better served if they had been praying all along, praying in the days and the weeks and the months and the years ahead of the big test or the big race, praying for discipline, praying for focus, praying for strength and guidance to do the work necessary to be ready for the day that the test comes, the day that the race comes. And I have to confess to you something, I used to watch this kind of prayer, the prayer that you see going on at track meets and football games and basketball games, all kinds of sporting events, I used to look at that with a really jaundiced eye. My attitude was something like this, I'd look at the man that you see in the picture and think these kind of thoughts, look at that hypocrite you know he loves to pray there on the track in front of 60,000 people so he can be seen by those people well he's already received his reward or maybe this kind of attitude well look at that desperate woman before the race she actually thinks that if she prays that the hand of god might reach out and push her to victory a victory that she hasn't actually prepared for and i want to say shame on me I've stopped doing that. I mean, who am I to judge what they're praying about? Who am I to judge their motivation for praying? I have a new reaction now. My reaction now is at least they're praying. You see, I'm convinced that the greatest misuse of prayer isn't the prayers of desperate high school students and it isn't the prayers of unprepared athletes. Now, I'm convinced that the greatest misuse of prayer is the lack of use of prayer. Let me say that again. The greatest misuse of prayer is the lack of use of prayer. Especially the lack of use of prayer for those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. The lack of prayer from those of us who are running the Christian race that God has put before us. And that's where James turns his attention as he nears the end of his letter. Not to the desperate prayers of the unprepared, but to the lack of prayer from those who are running the Christian race. And James turns his attention to prayer because he understands that there is no formula for successfully running the Christian race that doesn't include prayer. No formula. That doesn't include prayer. Lots of prayer. So let's listen to James as he talks about prayer. James 5, 13. He says, is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any of you sick? Facing troubles? James says, pray. Times are good? James says, sing out prayers of praise. Are you sick? James says, call on the elders and have them pray. Have you sinned? James says, confess your sins to your brothers and sisters and have them pray. Well, when does James think we should pray? I think the answer is he thinks we should pray all the time. It's the same message that we get from Paul, isn't it? Paul writes this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 16. He says, Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now there's no formula For successfully running the Christian race that doesn't include prayer. Continual prayer. Prayer in all circumstances. Prayers when we're preparing to run. Prayers while we are running. Prayers when we encounter hurdles. Prayers when we're waiting. Prayer at all times in all circumstances. You see, preparing well and running well and hurtling well and submitting well and and waiting well—all of those things require prayer. Lots of prayer. Well, why don't we pray continually? Why isn't that a part of who we are? Well, I think one of the reasons why we don't pray continually is because we treat prayer like it's a last resort. Lord, give me an A on this test that I haven't studied for. Lord, win me this race that I haven't prepared for. Lord, heal this relationship that I've completely ignored. See, as followers of Jesus Christ, prayer should never be our last resort. Instead, it should always be our first response. In every situation, in every test, in every race, in every relationship. And not only should prayer be our first response, it should be our ongoing approach to every situation, every circumstance. If you haven't yet read Zane's article that you'll find on the front page of your bulletin this morning, you really should read it. It's really very good. And in that article, he talks about how Daniel dealt with this decree that came from the king, and it was designed to get rid of Daniel. It was designed to kill Daniel. And when that decree came out, when it was published, when it was made part of the law of the land, Daniel didn't panic. In fact, Daniel didn't do anything different. He didn't do anything new. Instead, he did this, Daniel 6.10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. And three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, now listen to this part, just as he had done before. Prayer wasn't a last resort from Daniel. Prayer was his first response and his ongoing, his ongoing approach to every situation. Daniel prayed continually. Daniel responded to this hurdle that had been designed to kill him by approaching God in the same way that he had always approached God. By approaching this hurdle in the same way he had always approached hurdles. And the way he approached everything, he got down on his knees... Three times a day, just as he had always done before. See, prayer was Daniel's first response because it was his normal response. He continually prayed. Daniel didn't turn to God because he suddenly saw a need for God. No, Daniel prayed during this time, just like he prayed all the time Because he understood that his need for God's grace and God's mercy was never ending. It was a need that was ongoing. Not just when they were trying to kill him, but all the time in every situation. And that's when praying all the time starts to make sense. You see, if we pray whenever we need God's grace we'll be praying all the time, right? Because we always need God's grace. If we pray whenever we encounter things that are beyond our control, we'll always be praying, right? Because things are always outside our control. So let me say this. By all means, let's only pray when we're in need of God's grace and mercy. Let's only pray... When things are beyond our control. Because if we do that, we'll be praying all of the time. But if we're praying all the time, what are we going to pray about? If we're going to do all this praying, what should we be praying about? And there's a really short answer to that. The answer is we should be praying about everything. We should pray all the time about everything. Paul said this about prayer in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. He said, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Present everything to God in prayer. Every need? Yes. Every circumstance? Yes. Every decision that you're faced with? Yes. You see, our prayer should be an ongoing conversation with God about everything. About everything? About everything. Well, why would we want to do that? Why would we want to tell God everything? Well, because prayer is powerful. And prayer is effective. What's the first thing you think of when I say prayer is powerful and effective? Well, the first thing I think about are those big, powerful acts by God. God heals a sick person. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is effective. God puts a marriage back together that seemed, seems to be completely broken. We say prayer is powerful. Prayer is effective. And God often does those things. He does them powerfully. He does them effectively. But I want you to know that prayer is powerful and effective even when God doesn't heal, even when he doesn't restore. Prayer is always powerful and effective. And it's always powerful and effective because of what it does to us and what it does for us for us as we learn to pray all of the time about everything. So I want to end this lesson and I want to end this series by giving you three powerful and effective things that prayer will do for you. They will happen. It will do it for you. If you'll get on your marks and you'll get set And you'll pray. See, the first thing that prayer will do for you is it will illuminate the lie of self-autonomy. And it will illuminate the truth of God's sovereignty. Let me say that again because I didn't say it very well the first time. Prayer will illuminate the lie of self-autonomy. And it will illuminate the truth of God's sovereignty prayer illuminates it lights up who God is and it also reveals who we are it reveals who God is and it reveals who we are it reveals it every time that this subject approaches his king who's on the throne it reveals it every time this servant approaches his master It reveals that every time this child approaches his father, every time I do that, I'm reminded of who is in control. See, prayer is an act of surrender. Prayer is an act of submission. Not my will, but yours be done. On earth as it is, In heaven. You see, we don't approach God in prayer with the purpose of getting Him to surrender to our will. No, prayer is the deliberate, it's the conscious act of surrendering our will to God's will. Not our will, but yours be done. Sometimes we can put that in specific words, can't we? Sometimes we can go to God in prayer and know exactly what his will is. And as we pray, we can know that we are praying God's will. For example, we know that God wants everyone to come to know him. We know that God wants every sinner to repent. We know that God wants love to replace hate. We know that God wants truth to replace lies. We know those things are God's will. And we should pray for those things to happen. We should pray God's will. That those things will happen on earth as they are in heaven. But what about other times? How about those other times when we don't know what God's will is? Is it God's will that he cures her cancer? I honestly don't know. But I'm going to pray for it to happen anyway. Is it God's will that he get that job that seems perfect for him? I honestly don't know. But I'm going to pray for it to happen anyway. See, when we don't know what God's will is... We should ask for what we think is best based on his word and based on our experience and the wisdom he has given us. We should pray for it to happen anyway. And then we should pause and ask God to help us to want what he wants. We should pray for his will to become our will on earth as it is in heaven See, prayer is powerful and effective because in prayer we learn to give up the myth of our control and accept the truth of God's sovereignty. Number two, prayer is powerful and effective because it illuminates the necessity of community. Prayer illuminates the necessity of community. Prayer shows that we not only need God, but that we need each other. I'm sure you know this like I know this from experience. We all have times when we need help getting to Jesus. When we're like the paralyzed man laying on the mat, who can't get through the crowds to Jesus and needs his friends to bring him to Jesus. We've all had those times when we're just not able to come into God's presence, maybe because we're worn out by our sickness. So we need God's help. Or those times when we're just not able to approach His throne because we're paralyzed by our sin. So we need help. And it's in those times, those helpless times, that prayer teaches us the necessity of our church community. You know, the Bible teaches us that the church is a kingdom of priests. It teaches us that every single one of us is a priest. And what do priests do? Well, priests intercede for other people in front of God. And our job as a kingdom of priests is to intercede with God for each other. I approach God for you. You approach God for me. We pray for each other. We do that especially when the other is having a hard time getting to Jesus on their own. So what does James say? Are you sick? Well, call in the elders so they can pray for you. And that will help you. That'll help you get better. It'll help you get stronger. And James says, are you paralyzed by your sin? Well, call on your brothers. Call on your sisters. Confess your sins to them and have them pray for you. Have them pray to God for you so you can get better, so you can get stronger we intervene we intercede for each other we need each other so prayer illuminates the necessity of community we're in this together and number 3 prayer is powerful and effective because it illuminates the myth of impossibility the myth of impossibility See, prayer reminds us that nothing is too big for our God. When we pray, we enter the throne room. We enter into the presence of the all-powerful creator, the all-powerful sustainer of the universe. When we pray, we talk to the living God. We're in his presence. We're in conversation with our God, our God who's not bound by any earthly lim- limitations, any earthly constraints. Our God's not bound by time. Our God's not bound by physics. Our God's not bound by biology. Our God's not bound by our weaknesses. Our God's not bound by any boundaries. Our God's limitless. Our God is one big possibility. Nothing is impossible for our God. And so in prayer, we're reminded of God's infinite possibilities. Think about it. Every time we pray in Jesus' name, we're reminded of God's infinite possibilities. Because we're praying through Jesus, who left behind an empty tomb. And that empty tomb shouts, it shouts out that there's no stone that our God can't move. Nothing's impossible for our God. That's the God who listens to our prayers, that's the God who answers our prayers. Nothing is impossible with our God. Which makes me wonder, if we really believe that, if we really believe that our God, our God is the living God, our God is the God who raised Jesus from the dead, our God is the God of possibilities, nothing is impossible for our God, if we really believe that, And if we really believe that God is on our side, if we really believe that, and if we really believe that God hears our prayers and answers our prayers, why do we oftentimes offer such timid prayers? Why do we oftentimes offer such little prayers? And why do we pray so infrequently? Why do our prayer lives often look like we believe that we're running this race all by ourselves, on our own, like we don't have God on our side? Why are we squandering this gift we've been given? This amazing gift that we've been given. We've been given it by the blood of Jesus Christ. We've been given the gift to be able to bring our prayers and our petitions into the very throne room of the living God. Why would we squander that gift? So as we end this series, I want to end it by telling you, I want us to pray big prayers big prayers. I want us to pray for things that will bring tremendous glory to our God's name. And I want us to pray bold prayers. I want us to pray boldly for the things that will leave no doubt to the world around us that our God is in control. I want us to to give God bold prayers. And I want us to pray frequent prayers, continual prayers. I want us to pray frequently so that we'll be reminded and those around us will be reminded that our God is sovereign, our God is in control. I want us to pray continually so we'll be reminded that we need each other. And I want us to pray continually. So that we will be constantly reminded that nothing is impossible with our God. Brothers and sisters, let's not squander this gift that we've been given. Let's not squander this access that we've been given. The access that we've been granted. Granted by the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's not squander this accent to the throne of God with timid little, infrequent prayers. No, let our prayers be big and bold. Let them be big and bold because we have a powerful, we have a big, we have a limitless God. Let's pray. Father, we approach your throne in all humility. But Father, we approach your throne boldly by the blood of Jesus Christ, who shed his blood to give us access to your throne. Father, we pray boldly because we know that you love us. But Father, we pray humbly because we know we are not worthy. But Father, we pray boldly because Jesus has perfected us through his blood. Thank you, Father, for hearing our prayers. And Father, help us to be people who are in constant conversation with you, who continually pray to you, who lift up everything at all times to you. Because, Father, you care, you hear, and you answer. Thank you for being our Father Thank you for adopting us as your children. It's the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So, my brothers and sisters, it's on your marks, it's set, and it's pray. Let's pray all the time about everything. Let's pray knowing that we're in the presence of the one who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Let's be those children of the Most High God. Now let's stand and let's sing to that God.